Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking France. As always this week, we'll get stuck into the big issues that are making the news in France. That means finding out why a French minister exposed herself to a barrage of criticism this week by appearing on the cover of Playboy magazine. And Marseille, France's second city, is being dubbed the murder capital again after more deadly shootings in recent days. But just how dangerous is the Mediterranean port city for visitors? And of course, the mother of all battles rumbles on. We'll bring you up to date with pension strikes, yes, fuel shortages, piles of waste, cancelled trains and the protests. And is now a good time to buy a property in France? And if it is... What are the things you absolutely need to do before you take the plunge and sign the deal? Apart from visit the actual house, of course. We'll find out. And Easter is upon us. But how do the French celebrate it? And why isn't Good Friday a public holiday? We'll also have some top tips for things you can do in France this spring. I'm Ben McPartland, your host. But as ever, the interesting info and insight will be provided by the local France's editor, Emma Pearson, and journalist Jen Mansfield. Now, just before we go on, a big thank you to those listeners who have become members of The Local in recent days and also those who've left positive reviews of the podcast. It's really appreciated, but more importantly, your contributions help us to be able to continue to be able to talk about France on this podcast. And to talk about France, here's Emma and Jen. Hi, guys. You okay? We're good. Do you want to do any small talk or should we just crack straight on? No small talk. We don't do small talk. Let's go straight in. We have a lot to talk about this week. Indeed. Okay, we'll start off with where in France is in the news. Let's talk about Marseille, France's second biggest city. France's oldest city, in fact, on the Mediterranean coast. Jen, why is Marseille in the news? So we've picked Marseille this week because on Monday night, three people were killed and eight were wounded in separate shooting incidents. Local authorities said that all three of the murders were related to drug trafficking and connected to an ongoing gang-related turf war at the Paternel housing estate in the northern part of the city. So two of the victims were in their 20s and the third was just 16 years old. And apparently a 14-year-old with him was also wounded at the site. Now, these three victims are among the 13 who have died this year in gang-related violence in Marseille. And last year, in 2022, the local prosecutor's office reported that 32 people were killed in gun violence related to gangs and drug trafficking in Marseille. Indeed, this has been a big story in France in recent days. It's, of course, not the first time we've heard about violence and drug trafficking in Marseille. The city often gets a bad reputation in France for being dangerous, crime-ridden, poverty-stricken, often referred to as murder capital or Kalashnikov capital. Is it true Marseille is unsafe, Jen? Should people avoid travelling there? So it is true that the city has many deep-seated challenges. Yes, it has been plagued by drug trafficking and shootings related to turf wars that have brought promises of crackdowns by various French governments over the years. But I think it's really important to put things in perspective a bit for our listeners who are potentially looking to visit Marseille. I personally just spent a few days in Marseille, and honestly, I felt as safe as I do walking down the street in Paris. If you go online and you Google Marseille Dangerous, plenty of different articles will pop up, and several of them will cite the same 2022 study 
study that supposedly ranked Marseille as the second most dangerous city in Europe and even more dangerous than Baghdad and Tripoli. The thing is, this ranking is really unreliable. It was published on the website Numbeo, which had people rank cities from 1 to 100 based on a crime index, and any anonymous person on the internet could answer. It was not based on any real data. So when we're looking at the real statistics, there's a different story to be told. When you compare Marseille with other cities of similar size outside of France, Marseille is actually considerably more safe. So for example, just looking at murder or homicide rates, Marseille fares way better than Baltimore, which is my hometown, and a port city in the eastern US. And it actually has a smaller population than Marseille. But Marseille also has a lower murder rate than Manchester in the north of England. And then within France, when we're looking at the real crime data, as of 2022, both Lyon and Paris had higher levels of nonviolent theft than Marseille. And there were also more arrests made in connection to the drug trade in Seine-Saint-Denis, which is to the north of Paris, than in Bouches-du-Rhône, which is the département that contains Marseille. And in terms of physical assaults, the département that had the highest rates, according to 2022 data, were actually in the north of France, in Nord and Pas-de-Calais. Marseille was actually lower on the list behind both Paris and Saint-Saint-Denis. Now, Jen, this is the point the head of the Marseille Tourist Board told the local in an interview a few years ago. Actually, Maxime Tissot said, look, Marseille is a big city and of course there's crime, but there's also crime in London, New York, Paris. This is nothing new. We should probably stress, Jen, that it's not everywhere in the city either, is it? Yeah, exactly. A huge part of this is location specific. So in Marseille, just like Baltimore, crime and violence tends to be concentrated in certain parts of the city. In Marseille, that tends to be in the northern part of the city. And there are several factors at play here. So Marseille's northern arrondissement, the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 14th, and 15th, all had poverty rates above 40% as of 2021. And historically, these areas have been considerably less accessible by public transport, which is starting to change now as the city is investing more in expanding their tram and bus lines. But also unemployment is higher in Marseille than in other parts of the country, by an average of six percentage points as of 2018. And it is true that the city's Mediterranean port is a hub for drug trafficking. But also, historically speaking, Marseille, particularly northern Marseille, has been treated like a bit of an afterthought. It was literally called the the city without a name in the 1700s when Paris authorities wanted to punish Marseille for its refusal to back the Jacobin government. And there have been investment plans. The current president, Emmanuel Macron, specifically put forward a 1.5 billion euro plan to tackle crime and poverty in the city in 2021. But, you know, like we've been saying, these are really deep rooted issues. Honestly, for tourists, if you're worried about whether you should avoid Marseille, the reality is that these problems are not likely to impact your trip. Tourists might have to worry about petty crime, nonviolent theft, like pickpocketing, particularly around popular places uh, like the Vieux Port or the main train station like Gare Saint-Charles. But this is something that you could fall victim to in really any French or other European city. Yeah, let me read the opening of the Lonely Planet chapter on Marseille, Jen, that was written that was written by Nicola Williams. I was reading it last night. She said, Few cities provoke as many confusing stereotypes and preconceptions as Marseille, a city that spent decades slumbering in the shadows as dirty, dangerous port city and the black sheep of France, yet contemporary Marseille sparkles. Jen, I've only visited a couple of times myself, only briefly. You've been recently. Does it sparkle? Yeah, the Mediterranean itself certainly sparkles and you can get a great view of it from several different parts of Marseille. Honestly, I had a lovely time in Marseille this past weekend. The first thing that I said when I came home was that I could see myself living there at some point. The city's fun, it's lively, it's multicultural, it's well-connected to nature and hiking, if that's something you enjoy. And of course, you've got the beach right there. I think if I had one recommendation of what to do in Marseille, I would say 
absolutely go hike the Canonc. They're so worth it, especially if you go in the off season when it's not as crowded. But we also walked up to the top of the Basilica Notre Dame de la Garde, and there's this incredible view of the, over the whole city, the Mediterranean. It really is sparkling. And if I had more time, I would have loved to also go to the Marseille History Museum. I think that would have been really cool. Emma, your views on Marseille? You've been there? Yeah, I love Marseille. Um, I think Saint-Germain is a really lively city, great vibes, really good nightlife. I was down there in the autumn for the Autumn Internationals rugby match, which was brilliant, fabulous atmosphere. And of course, the city is hosting matches during Rugby World Cup later this year. And it's also an Olympic venue. The sailing is going to be held in uh, in Marseille in 2024. So I would absolutely say go visit. Good advice. I read actually that Marseille gets 300 days of sunshine a year. It's France's sunniest city, apparently. So the chances are if you do go, you're going to get good weather. And another good fact, guys, this is just to counter the fact that Marseille is often known as a dirty city, but it is actually the home of soap. Savant de Marseille. Absolutely, yes. Uh, soap sellers all over the place in, in Marseille selling beautiful artisan soap. It's really nice. And I've got one more question about the city that I hope someone will be able to answer for me. The French national anthem is called the Marseillaise. Has it got anything to do with Marseille? Um, it sort of doesn't, actually. No. The song actually comes from Strasbourg, about as far away from Marseille as you can get and still be in France. The mayor of Strasbourg commissioned it in 1792 because he wanted a rousing martial song for his soldiers. Mm, okay. The song itself like makes no mention of Marseille. Marseille, or any other French city, in fact. And how it came to be called the Marseillaise is actually one of these slightly vague historical facts. It seems that it was first attached as a nickname rather than the formal title, and then became the actual name. And the story goes that it was during the Revolution, soldiers liked to sing it when they were marching from Marseille to Paris. That's a hell of a walk, by the way. It's about 700 kilometres. So you can see why they might have needed a pick-up from... Sing a song or two on the way. Exactly. And I mean, the Marseillaise, if any song would pick you up and make you fired up, it would be the Marseillaise. It's such a cracking tongue. Brilliant. Emma, you answered my question. Jen, thanks for that insight into Marseille, France's second city down on the Mediterranean coast. Now, who is in the news in France this week? We always like to pick out a figure or a celebrity making the headlines. Emma, why am I reading about a government minister in Playboy? I don't know. Why were you reading Playboy, Ben? (laughs) Um, You're probably reading about Marlene Schiappa. Um, She's the social security minister and she is the cover star of this month's French Playboy magazine. And she's attracted quite a lot of criticism for it. Even the Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne, who you might think has real problems to worry about right now, apparently took the time to call Schiappa to tell her that her actions were, quote, not at all appropriate. Okay, it doesn't sound the type of thing that a French minister would do, especially in a crisis. Uh, What's the problem here? Well, it's not that Schiappa was new in the Playboy centrefold tradition. In fact, for Bourne, it seems to be that it was the opposite problem. She's pictured in the magazine wearing various different designer dresses, you know, sort of fashion-style photo shoots, and at a time when the French people are struggling with rising inflation, when the government's battling pension reform, apparently she felt that it was not an appropriate image to give of the government. I um, see. And Schiappa's political rival, Sandrine Rousseau, who's an MP of the Green Party, she also made this point. She said, women's bodies should be able to ex- be exposed everywhere. I don't have problem with that but there's a social context people who are going to have to work for two years more who are demonstrating who are losing days of salary who aren't managing to eat because of inflation so ironically it actually seems like it might have been better if she was naked because at least she wouldn't be wearing these expensive designer dresses but she was having absolutely none of this though she tweeted that she was defending the right of women to do what they want with their bodies everywhere and all the time in france women are free whether it annoys the retrogrades and the hypocrites or not 
But I think maybe it's kind of raised more eyebrows because Schiappa is a long-time feminist activist. She was previously a women's rights campaigner and a well-known author and a blogger before Emmanuel Macron invited her to join his government when he became president in 2017. Since then, she stayed in the government. She started as the Equalities Minister. She then became the Citizenship Minister. And she's now the Social Security Minister, which is like a junior finance ministry post. But she doesn't come from the sort of same party political background as some of her colleagues. She was brought into the government. And interestingly, she wasn't the only government minister to give a high-profile magazine interview this last week. Emmanuel Macron, who rarely gives interviews, he spoke to a children's magazine called PIF, while Olivier Dussopt, who's the Labour minister, who's kind of become the face of this very unpopular pension reform, he spoke to the gay magazine Tetu to reveal that he is gay, which makes him the fourth out gay minister in the French government. Emma, the cynic in me and in a lot of French commentators I've seen talking about this on the news suggest that are they trying to distract people from the ongoing pension reform anger, the crisis, political (laughs) crisis in the country by uh, giving these magazine interviews and cover shoots? Uh, I mean, obviously, yes, that's a very cynical point of view, but it does seem to be the point of view of most people in France right now. And in Chiappa's case, there's possibly another scandal that she might be deflecting from. And this is to do with the use of money by what they call the Marianne Fund. This fund was created after the murder of French school teacher Samuel Paty by an Islamic extremist back in 2020. The fund exists to give out grants to organisations that work to combat extremism and radicalisation. It came under Chiappa's remit because she was the citizenship minister at the time. But investigative journalists are uncovering some irregularities in how the cash has been used. So there's now an inquiry that's been opened into this. Mm. Now, Jen, uh, it's not all magazine shoots, designer dresses, of course, for Mylene Schapper. A law that she was behind is in the news this week as well. Yeah, so it's the 2018 law that actually criminalized street harassment or catcalling. And it was named after Marlene Schiappa. It's called the Loi Schiappa because it was introduced by her ministry when she was the equalities minister. Now, the law was really groundbreaking at the time, particularly because it introduced the notion of sexism into the French legal framework. And in practice, the Schiappa law made it so that any street harassment, so things like whistling, verbal insults, making obscene gestures, catcalling, would be a criminal offense punishable by an on-the-spot fine. Previously, the maximum fine was 1,500 in its original form. But as of April 1st, that penalty can be up to 3,750 euro for an aggravated case of public sexual harassment. So in order to qualify as aggravated, the offense must either be committed against a vulnerable victim, so a minor under the age of 15, for example, by a group of people targeting a victim because of their sexual orientation or on public transport. So far in 2020 and 2021 combined, 3,700 people have been arrested under the Chiapa anti-street harassment law. 3,700 people. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it is. Although I have a gut feeling that there is a lot more street harassment happening in France that goes unreported and not covered under the law. So Yeah, yeah I mean, definitely on public transport. I, I was interested to see that part of the sort of aggravated assault is on public transport because that's a massive problem. I mean, there have been surveys of sort of users, especially on the Paris Metro. They did a survey, I think, two years ago of women who use the Paris Metro and every single one of them said that they'd been a victim of sexual harassment at some point while on the Metro. So I think there's a few more to go yet. It's just one of these ongoing issues that never seems to go away, isn't it? Thank you, Jen. And thank you, Emma, for some insight on Marlene Schiappa and French ministers. Moving on to... Yep, it's still the big news story in France. Of course, it's pension strikes. Easter's coming up. Is travel going to be affected? Piles of rubbish. Are they disappearing? Are they going to come back? 
Emma, fill us in. Well, there was some good news and some bad news about rubbish this week, particularly if people are living in Paris. On Monday, City Hall announced that they'd almost finished clearing up the 10,000 tonnes of rubbish that were left from the waste strikes. And within about an hour of that announcement, the unions announced another strike. So swings and roundabouts there. From April 13th, Paris waste collectors will go on strike again for an indefinite strike. Before then, April 6th is the uh, the strike date this week, which will see waste collectors and also teachers, air traffic controllers, rail staff, among others. The strikes have been getting progressively less disruptive because there are fewer people going out on strike, but it's still likely there will be cancellations on the next one-day one. The general pattern so far has been that on the evening of the one-day strike, unions will announce the next strike date, so we don't actually have any firm dates beyond that, but I think it's fair to say there probably will be some. And of course there will also be demos and marches. The most recent demos on March 28th were largely peaceful. Unions didn't call any demos over the weekend, I think, in an effort to sort of lower the political temperature a bit and make things a bit calmer. But I guess we'll see what the mood will be among the protesters on Thursday. Yes, Thursday's a key day. Now, Emma, um, some people around me in Paris have been complaining about not being able to get any petrol. We know that uh, a lot of people are on holiday in France at the moment. Do we have any news on potential fuel shortages? Yeah, there are still some fuel shortages, which are obviously linked to strikes and to blockades at the oil refineries. Overall, things are actually getting better. Across the whole country, only 8% of filling stations are reporting any kind of shortages. So obviously most are fine. But we're kind of seeing the areas move that previously it was the the south that was the most affected and the west things are improving there but things in Paris are getting worse so in Paris now about 30% of filling stations are reporting some shortage of either petrol or diesel so it is becoming more of a problem in Paris yeah Okay, and on the general crisis, we know that unions met with Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne on Wednesday. That meeting was predictably dubbed a failure. Do we know, do we have any idea when this crisis might end? Um, Yes, I mean, that is the question everybody's asking. When will this be over? It's not really possible to say with total accuracy, but the next key deadline is April the 14th. That's the deadline for the Constitutional Council to deliver its verdict on whether the pension reform is constitutional, both the reform itself and how it was enacted. We've talked about this going through Parliament without a vote. That's really the last political or legal route for stopping the bill becoming law. After that, probably the only option is for the government to decide to either scrap it altogether or delay its implementation because of how controversial it's been. The delay is what Laurent Berger, who's the head of the moderate CFTT union, is proposing to the government. He says that, look, we need to do this to kind of, again, lower the political temperature, calm the situation. At present, the government does seem to be pushing ahead, though, so it's maybe likely, I think, that the steam will go out of the protests once the bill is signed into law and there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. As I said, we kind of have seen the strikes getting less and less disruptive as fewer people walk out. The turnout also fell on the last day of marches and demos, although there was still a lot of people out on the streets. But I think what we can say is that strikes are likely to continue until at least April the 14th and maybe afterwards. Right, OK. I think all we can say is to encourage listeners to check out our website thelocal.fr we really do have all the latest info on strikes potential disruption protests and outlooks for the weeks ahead it's thelocal.fr thank you Emma now one story that has been rumbling on in France for weeks if not months centres around property prices is it a good time to buy is it a bad time to lend what should I do before I buy a house Emma 
Starters off, property prices have been in the news. Yeah, um, there's a new report come out from Banque de France, which is predicting that the property market this summer will be as flat as in the summer of 2020, which is obviously the height of the pandemic. And this is due to a combination of falling property prices and rising interest rates. So it's bad news if you're wanting to sell your property. It's bad news if you're wanting to get a mortgage. But if you're looking to buy and you're mortgage free, this might actually be a great time to snap up a bargain. Property prices in France are seeing a steady fall as the market stagnates and even Paris's famously high prices are falling a bit, making them slightly more affordable, although that is relative. And you are kind of seeing a lot of sellers who are preparing to drop their price a little to make a sale. So this is kind of a good time to haggle as well if you've seen something that you like. Indeed. Now, Emma, is this stagnation fall in prices? Is it pretty much across the whole of the country? It's not just Paris? No, it's not just Paris. It's perhaps more noticeable in Paris because the capital's prices have been famously high for a long time, like insanely high. But the latest figures from the National Association of Real Estate agents say that prices are down 3% in Lyon, 2% in Toulouse, 1.8% in Marseille, 1.3% in Bordeaux. Only Nice, Lille and Strasbourg have resisted these trends, with these three throwing a very slight increase in prices. Outside of the big cities, I think we're probably talking more stagnation rather than a fall. But then depending on where you are, property in rural France can be pretty cheap anyway. Yeah. Now, there's been so many articles uh, discussing whether now is a good time to buy in France. And one of the things that uh, goes against the buyer, as you mentioned, Emma, is rising interest rates. They they were down at 1%. Last year, they were about 3% now on average, heading for 4% by the summer, experts say. Let's say you do want to buy a house. Let's say you've got the money. What should you do next? What are some tips that we can offer listeners for things that they need to do before they sign that deal? Well, you will, of course, need to get your head around the French property buying and selling system. which is likely to be really quite different to your home country. So for that, it's complicated. I would basically just suggest go along to our website where we kind of lay all this out. But before you get to the stage of actually making an offer, there are some good tips for anyone who's looking to buy in France, especially if you're not already living here. And the first thing to do really is to visit the place you want to buy in both the summer and the winter. And this is especially important if you're buying in the countryside or in a touristy area, because, you know, a beautiful French village, it might seem like the dream when you're sipping rosé on the terrace in the summer, But you might find in the winter that it's cold, bleak and boring and you don't Mm. actually want to live there. And likewise, it's important to see what's open in the off-season in many places, again, especially tourist places. But in many places, bars, restaurants, even shops close up out of season. So you can be left pretty isolated with not much to do. So that beautiful restaurant that tempted you to move in suddenly closes for six months a year and you're kind of left with nowhere to go. Exactly. And, you know, there might be no bar, so it might be difficult Mm. to meet people. There might even be the shops are closing down, so you're left with, you know, a long trip every time you want to buy anything. Which kind of brings me to my next point, which is checking out transport options. If you're looking to buy in the country, you will almost certainly need a car because public transport is often not great outside the towns and the cities but I think you also kind of need to think about the amenities nearby and whether you could manage if you could no longer drive you know especially if you're retiring to France this might become a reality that you're not able to drive anymore so um, you kind of do need to think about these boring but practical things. Indeed yeah I mean I remember speaking to a few readers of the local some of whom I remember a couple I think they bought in Normandy and then after a year or two they realised it just wasn't sunny enough for what they were expecting so then they ended up moving down to the Dordogne and then in reverse I've heard of people who've moved south 
and then realised that transport links weren't that great, for example, for getting back to England via the ferries or the Channel Tunnel. And they've ended up buying, you know, moving up to Normandy or Brittany. I met a couple actually at a property fair who had bought a camper van or mobile home and they were planning to live in for a few months, travelling around the country to kind of work out, you know, where for them was the best place to live. But I mean, you know, if you're thinking about choosing a certain part of the country, what can you do before you actually buy? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the mobile home is not a bad idea, but I also think it's often a good idea to rent rather than to buy when you first move to France, because it gives you a chance to check out whether the area you're living in, mm. you know, really get to know it properly, see whether you actually like it before handing over, you know, an enormous amount of money to buy a property. It's quite a commitment doing that. Some people think that buying property gives you an advantage when it comes to getting a visa or a residency card, but that's actually not the case. There's no particular advantage in visa terms to owning rather than renting. So I think renting is a good Mm. thing to do first. I kind of mentioned it as well, but uh, if you're not a citizen of the EU, you do also need to check out for your visa residency options. You need to be legally living in France. And on the financial side, you kind of need to check out some of the hidden costs of owning a property, utilities, obviously, but also property taxes, which can be quite high in certain areas. You need to make sure that you can budget for that. If you're planning to buy somewhere that's, you know, a bit run down and do a renovation, it's worth checking out the cost of um, local goods and services as well, because Brits in particular often find that DIY equipment and the rates for tradesmen in France are more expensive than they would be expecting. And finally, talking of renovations, um, I think it's really crucial to be realistic both about your own skills, about the time frame, and what you're prepared to take on as a project. Are you really ready to live in a caravan for six months and pee in a bucket while you wait for the plumbing to be installed? If you are, fine, it's all great, but you kind of need to be honest with yourself about whether that sounds like a great adventure to you or whether it just sounds like a living nightmare. What you're saying is you need to find out if there's a septic tank installed or septic how much tanks. it's going to cost to get yes. one. Yes. Septic tanks are very important. Did you know that around a third of French properties are not on the mains water system and so need a septic tank? Mm. And if your property either doesn't have a septic tank or if your the septic tank in the property you buy doesn't meet the more recent safety standards, you will have to replace it. And these are very, very expensive. We're talking about €10,000. So it's a wow. significant investment. Emma, you really are an expert on septic tanks. Isn't There's also a hidden cost or something you need to be aware about if you want to install a pool is there not in France? Absolutely, yes. Property taxes go up. If you have a pool, your property taxes will rise. And the tax office has actually started using um, Google Earth photos now to check whether you have a pool because people don't always declare when they have a pool installed. So they've started using Google Earth. They can see if you have a pool and you might be getting an extra bill from the tax man who'll probably be quite annoyed that you tried to hide your pool. Wow. And could you get around all this by, for example, using your septic tank as a pool? (laughs) Why are you laughing? No? If you want They're not going to spot it from Google Earth, surely. <laughs> okay. That sounds like a lovely just an idea. experience. Just an idea. Just make sure you do some research into that, listeners. Jen, just a question that some American readers and listeners often ask is whether a realtor exists in France. Does it? Is there an equivalent? So it's a bit complicated. Basically, in France, you have an agent immobilier, but they have a very different role than the American realtor. Honestly, I wouldn't say that there's a perfect equivalent in France. And so this basically means that searching for property in France for Americans can be a bit of a challenge because, for example, there is not one central database where all property for sale is listed. So people might exchange property amongst family members. They might use a website like Le Bon Coin, basically 
specifically Craigslist or particulier à particulier, a PAP to list their property on, they might list their property with an agency or maybe two or three agencies. But then it's up to the agency to decide whether to put the property online elsewhere besides just putting it on their own website. So in contrast, in the United States, Americans are used to having this really different system where the realtor has access to either all or almost all of the new or resale properties on the market because they are listed on that regional database, the multiple listing service. This doesn't exist in France. And so all of that to say, a lot of Americans come to France and they find themselves really confused about how to even find property to buy and just how to start the process. And usually the French real estate agent, the agent immobilier, is actually hired by the seller to take care of their property by finding a buyer. And so their official role is really more of that of an intermediary or a facilitator. Okay, so any advice for American buyers, Jen, who might feel a little bit lost without a realtor? So if you're wondering about where to find property in France, you do have a few options. You can do a lot of the research on your own online, luckily. So there are websites like Le Bon Coin, Se Loger, Bien Ici. You can also go to individual property agencies to see their listings. You can even go in person. A lot of times if you're in a small town, you'll see those pictures of the properties for sale in the in the property agency's window. Um, if you're in a small rural area, you can even stop by the local town hall and just ask if they know of any property that's for sale. So the real estate agent in France that's the agent immobilier, there are some advantages to using it, but it's not really exactly what you would expect in the American sense. So they might be able to speak English. They might be able to help you with the French side of things. They might be able to offer you helpful advice as you search. When you do that, you should definitely make sure that they're registered. They should hold a professional card. But basically, the closest thing that you can get to kind of an American-style agent who searches the listings for you might be the expat-oriented relocation agency or an expat-oriented real estate agency. Um, but they probably still aren't going to be able to offer you everything you'd expect from the American realtor, you know, taking you along to every single single visit and, you know, sending you very, very tailored information. They'll be able to help you along the process with some of the tricky admin things, like maybe your language struggles or having to make calls in French. And then all of that being said, you should also keep in mind that even if you do use an agent immobilier, you're still going to have to pay notaire fees. And these usually still end up being around 8% of the sale price of the home. Yeah, certainly does add a chunk onto your budget. Yeah, although the uh, the notaire fee is the thing I think that, uh, that foreigners often get confused by. They call it a notaire fee, but actually the notaire themselves, the lawyer, they only keep like a small percentage of it. Most of it goes to the state. Yeah. So it's really a property tax. Uh, I always think that's a really confusing thing to say because people are like looking yeah, at the notaire, the notaire like they're pocketing, pocketing tens of thousands of euros. Yeah. yeah, it's basically a property tax. No, but you certainly do have to factor it in for your budget. Thank you, Jen. And thanks, Emma, for that expert advice for property buyers in France. Now, this weekend is the first long weekend of the year. That's because there's a public holiday, because it is Easter, or Pâques, as the French call it in France. Emma, question from readers. How do the French celebrate Easter? Well, if you're really into Easter, I would actually suggest hopping over the border to Spain because Easter is massive there. Every town has this huge parade. They have the people with the weird hoods doing parades. It's a big celebration, a big festival. In France, things are a little less crazy, but it is celebrated. And just like in many countries, chocolate is the key ingredient. So kids and adults, if you're lucky, get chocolate eggs on Easter Sunday. But it's only in eastern France that a bunny delivers the eggs. In most of the country, they have a very cute legend of the flying church bells. You heard this one? No. Okay, so the story goes that all the church bells in France fly to Rome on Good Friday, which is the Friday before Easter, mm. to be blessed by the Pope. They spend the weekend in Rome, good location for a city break. They then fly back on Sunday, ready to ring out at the church services on Sunday morning. But on their way back, they distribute chocolate treats to all the children. Right, okay. 
Carry on. So places have like events over over Easter. There are Easter egg hunts for children in a lot of towns. A lot of places have special Easter markets or festivals. But it's not really a huge event, and most French people would probably just like have a meal with extended family or or friends. Easter Monday, as you said, is a public holiday, so there's a nice long weekend. And if you're in the southwest, the town of Béziers is definitely worth a visit. On Easter Monday, they make an enormous omelette. And when I say enormous, it's 15,000 eggs. It feeds the entire town and it's a tradition that goes right back to Napoleon, who apparently enjoyed a particularly good omelette in the town when he visited. The modern event is a big tourist attraction and it's organised by the Confrérie des Chevaliers de l'Omelette Géante, which is the brotherhood of the knights of the giant omelette. Fantastic. Worth checking out if you're in the region. Now, look, that's eggs and chocolate out the way. The more pressing subject for me is public holidays, time off. Why isn't Good Friday a public holiday in France? Well, yeah, it's not a holiday in most of France, in fact. Uh, We don't get it off here in Paris. Mm. Most people in France don't. The exception to that is the three départements of Basra, Autre and Moselle, which form the historic region of Alsace-Lorraine, which is in the east of France. They do get Good Friday off. In fact, they get two extra holidays a year, Good Friday and St Stephen's Day on Ah, December 26th. They get Boxing Day off as well. They do, yeah. And the reason for this is their history. The area has kind of swapped back and forth between between France and Germany several times, first during the Franco-Prussian War and then World War One and World War Two. And when France had its last major overhaul of public holidays in 1905, which was part of its law on secularism, Alsace-Lorraine at that time was still part of Germany and they still had Good Friday as a holiday. When the area was restored to France at the end of World War One, the inhabitants basically said, thanks very much, happy to be back, but we're keeping our holiday. And the French government apparently concluded that it wasn't really worth the argument. And that's why your friends and colleagues in eastern France will be enjoying the day off on Friday while we will be hard at work. Right. Now, look, we shouldn't complain too much because April and particularly May are very good for days off in France. We've got a few long weekends coming up. It's not just Easter. What's coming up next? May Day, 1st of May? Yep. Off. 8th of May? Yep. Off. That's for the end of the war? Yes. Vic- v Day, Victory There is Ascension, a Thursday. Yes. Which means we get to do the pont, or we can do the pont, by taking the Friday off. Yep. I think a lot of schools actually just enforce the pont on you. And then there's another one, Pentecost. Pentecost, yes. Yeah, Pentecost at the end of May. That's four long weekends in May with public holidays. Yeah, we're basically not doing any work at all in May. Yeah, this we are spoiled. Year. It's going to be good. Exactly. Look, which all these long weekends in spring give us a, a great reason to go away and do something different in France. Hence the subject of our life hacks or tips this week. Things to do on a long weekend over Easter and May. Who's going to start us off, Emma? Uh, yeah, I'm going to suggest, once the weather's nice, I always like a trip to the seaside. And one of my favourite seaside towns in France is La Rochelle, down in the southwest. If you're going over Easter, they have lots of uh, lots of good events. There's uh, an Easter egg hunt, Le Grand Chasse aux Oeufs, uh, which carries on for a whole week through the town centre. It's like a, a kid's trail for them finding eggs all through the town. It's really fun. But if you're not visiting Easter, there's loads of other fun stuff to do. It's a really funky little town. It's got great bars, it's got great nightlife, the harbour is absolutely beautiful. They have an extremely successful rugby team, uh, which has one of my favourite stadiums in the whole of France. It's quite new, and the bits underneath the chairs are made out of metal, so whenever it gets to an exciting bit of the match, all of the spectators kick their feet against the metal and the noise is just deafening and unbelievable. It's a really fun day, but also La Rochelle as itself is a, a beautiful, beautiful little town. town. Go there. <laughs> okay, great tip. Jen? Uh, so my tip is to visit the scene of Claude Monet's beautiful water lilies, Giverny. It's just right outside of the Paris region. 
You can get there by train. It's really easy. Um, it's just a quick, maybe one hour long ride outside of the city. And the reason I recommend going in the springtime is because that's when the flowers are blooming. Uh, but it's also kind of the off season, so it's not going to be as crowded. In the summer, you definitely get a lot of people that are looking to visit the famous Impressionist's home and, you know, to see the site of the beautiful water lilies. But I think it's probably better to go outside of the outside of the peak season. And my tip is when you arrive in Giverny, basically you're not going to arrive in the village itself. You'll arrive in the nearest town and that's where the train station is. And you can either take this small little bus tour basically from the station to the town or you can rent a bike. And it's really easy to rent a bike. And honestly, it's a beautiful path. And in the springtime, when the sun's shining and the flowers are blooming, it's great. All right. So this is the place where Monet painted the plants. Yes, exactly. In the pond. Yep. Perfect. Right. Have you been, Emma? I have, yes. In fact, I went the the first weekend after lockdown when we were first allowed to, to travel. That's where I went with some friends. So it has very fond memories for me. I mean, obviously it's beautiful, but we were just like delirious with excitement to be allowed out of our apartments at that point. So we had a, a lovely, lovely weekend. We stayed in the, uh, in the town next door in an Airbnb with a lovely old French lady who kept calling us mes enfants, my children. Um, it was uh, it was cute. And it's, it's a beautiful place. And I, think yeah, I really you, recommend it. You get there on the train from Gare Saint-Lazare yep. in Paris. Yeah. Okay, my tip is to go to a place in France called Berck. You know why that's funny? Uh, because it's called Berck. Um, well, also it's called Berck, which in <laughs> French, they, it's like yuck. It's like the equivalent of yuck. It's Berck sur Mer, actually, and it's, uh, it's a lovely place on the Côte d'Opale in northern France. And I recommend going because it has a great kite festival in April. It's actually, for this year, it's from April the 15th to the 23rd. Huge amount of crazy, huge, enormous kites flying you know, along the huge beach there at Berksumer. Yeah, Berksumer actually always appears in these lists of kind of strange places in France with strange place names along with anus and <laughs> condom. And there's quite a few actually. Francis um, Biche, yeah. I think there's one called Misère and so France has got some great names of villages and Apoil, I think, Naked is another one. But um, that's uh, my recommendation. Anyone been to Berk? No, I haven't, but I'm going to go because every time we go back to the, the UK, we drive up past Burke yeah. on, on the A10 and every time we go past, it's we go, called Burke. Burke. It's called Burke. <laughs> every time works, we laugh yeah, at the place. It doesn't work in either English or French, actually, no. does it? Yeah. Great. There's some recommendations for the long weekends ahead of you. Thanks to you all for listening. That brings us to the end of this week's episode of Talking France. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Emma. We'll be back with more next week. 